0: Welcome to the C3 Church Noosa podcast. Stay tuned for this week's message. Well, I'm going to jump right into the Word of God. It's just a privilege to be here with Pastor Christian and Melissa. Who loves Pastor Christian and Melissa? Phenomenal Phenomenal couple. And uh, like Christian said, you know, uh, they've been great friends of ours for a long time. And you're just in the right place. What a phenomenal new church. I mean, you guys have only been going, what, seven or eight months or something like that. And I remember when Summer and I first arrived in San Diego and Pastor Juergen Leanne, who had invited us to come, it was only nine months. And it's very similar to to what we have here, just, you know, 100 people, you know, 20, 30 kids or whatever, and uh, just loving God and building something amazing for Noosa and the surrounding areas. God is doing something significant, something different, and something very powerful here. So if this is your first time here, you're definitely in the right place. And uh, if you're looking for a new church in in News, this is definitely the place to be. And you are not in better hands than, I think, two of the most brilliant people on planet Earth, and Christian and Melissa. Um, Just their friendship, they're just such great friends. And as you get to know them, you just realize how much of a really great he's not just a pastor and a preacher, he's just an all round amazing human being who just loves people and will go the extra mile for you. So you just, you just have a privilege having a senior pastor who just has that kind of spirit and a great family too. All your kids are amazing, by the way. I thought they'd be all off the wall, but, you know, they're just so well behaved. It's amazing, you know, absolutely incredible. You're doing something right. So open your Bibles to Genesis. I'm going to talk uh, this morning about freeing your mind and because uh, we do sing songs about being free. But if we're, if we're truthful, I think there are some areas of our lives that could use a bit, of, a bit more freedom, a bit more liberty. And uh, so we're going to talk a little bit about that. If you go to Genesis 13, we'll start in 14 to 16. And uh, it says, lift your eyes now. You can kind of catch up up to me. I'm going to try and get through as much as I can in the time. I want to make sure I finish on time and everybody can go out and enjoy the beautiful weather and beaches here. So it says, lift your eyes now and look from the place where you are. That'll preach right there. Northward, southward, eastward, westward, for all the land which you see, I give to you and your descendants forever. And I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth. Arise, walk in the land through its length and its width, for I give it to you. This is an amazing promise that God is giving to Abraham because Abraham doesn't even have any kids yet. So Abraham's probably thinking, well, okay, that's great, God, but how are we going to make this happen? If we jump into Genesis 15, it says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. But Abraham said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless? So he's looking at what he doesn't have. And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Then Abraham says, Look... You have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. Again, he's looking at his problem and his current situation again. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. That's always a good thing when you're having a pity party, right? This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, look now toward heaven and count the stars if you're able to number them. And he said, so shall your descendants be. I love that passage of Scripture. Abraham's having a pity party because he doesn't have any kids. He's focusing on what he doesn't have. And if we're truthful in all of our lives, there are things that we don't have. There are things that we're striving for, things that we're looking to attain, dreams that we're looking to be fulfilled. And Abraham is in the same spot as all of us, and he's just looking at what he doesn't have. But God's saying, no, get outside. Get out of your your problems and your situation. Look towards heaven for your answer, because with Jesus is the answer. And so... Here's, here's Abraham, and you've got to think, he's not just been waiting for a week or a year or five years for his dream to come to pass. He's been waiting for 80 long years. How, how many people have been here older than 80? Oh, I should put my hand down, shouldn't I? Not many people, maybe one here, older than 80. Think, longer than 80 years waiting for his dream. And, you know, I think he wouldn't be blamed for thinking maybe it's over as far as him and his, his family goes. Maybe that dream's not going to come to pass. And actually in Bible times, if you didn't have children and you were barren, it was actually seen as the divine judgment of God. And so, you know, Abraham's got to be struggling with that as well in those cultural times that it was, you know, having kids. That's the thats the judgment of God right there. And you'll hear that today, right? You know, something will go wrong in somebody's life. Go, oh, that's the judgment of God. That's not the judgment of God. It's probably, it's like, Jesus was already judged by God on the cross once. You know, you're not, you're not judged by God. And so, you know, in our lives, we, we may have, you know, maybe you're, you're looking for kids. That might be the thing. But it might be a marriage, something in your marriage. It might be financial, looking for financial breakthrough. Whatever it may be, you may be struggling. We all may be struggling with similar issues that Abraham had to deal with, wondering, God, why? Why am I still single? Why did I get married and now I'm single again? Why have my kids totally away from, away from God or not in the house of God? All these different questions that, that we might have. And, uh, you know, I heard a great message from Joyce Meyer. Who's, who's heard of Joyce Meyer? Joyce Meyer um, spoke at a conference in Dallas, Texas that I went along to, and she preached a message for the very first time about her brother. And the reason she hadn't been able to preach about it before is because she didn't want to speak about it while he was alive. Now, sadly, he had just passed away. And what had happened, tragically, was that Joyce Meyer recounted in this message that they had the same upbringing, they had the same teachers, they went to the same school, they were both abused growing up, yet... One of the through all of these same conditions, one of them turned out to be one of the most well-known uh, ministers and one of the most powerful teachers of the gospel worldwide, and the other one, sadly, was found dead, you know, of a drug overdose in an abandoned warehouse in Los Angeles, California, with nothing more than a little key ring in his wallet. And she, she asked the question, you know, why is it that, two people's lives turned out so differently, and it was all about perspective. It was all about the way that she chose to approach things that she was going to and how she was going to respond to it, and she preached a whole message on, and I'm certainly not going to go into it today because it's her message, but I think the key thing is that, you know, she had a different perspective. Because she had a different mindset about what was going on, she ended up taking a different path. Because she went on a different path than her brother, she ended up at a different destination. Now, you know, her brother, I, I don't know him, and I don't know what he thought about it, but he could have said, oh, you know, Joy, she's just, God loves her, doesn't love me. You know, she, you know she's favored by God, but not me. No, it's just simply she chose a different path, and that path led to a certain destination. And that path, before she even got on that path, she had to be thinking about the kind of path that she wanted to go down, not one of regret and pity and discouragement or fear or just, you know, just playing the victim. She chose a path of being an overcomer and walking the walk that God had for her despite of the difficulties that she has. So the reason why that sometimes we look at other people's lives and, oh, wow, they're, they're doing great and we'd love to be doing that, and I think that's all very good, is not because God loves them more than you. It's just that they took a different path because they had a different mindset and that path led them to a certain destination. So Abraham had a dream of having kids. And the definition, I looked up the definition of a dream and it states to think. you want to think, so every dream starts off as a thought, which is why I'm preaching on freeing your mind. To think about something that you wish would happen... Or something that you want to do or be a strongly desired goal or purpose. Like, you know, an example might be that someone has a lifelong dream of becoming an actor. I would think Pastor Christian may have had a dream like that. He certainly has some great acting skills. We were in the pool yesterday, swimming around, and he's throwing all the kids in the pool. All of a sudden, you know, I I come into the pool, and I mean, he's got muscles twice the size of mine. Personally... I don't know what's going on there, people. I don't see them going to the gym, so I don't know where they're coming from. But they're coming from somewhere. I I would. Anyway, so so now I come in and I start, I don't just throw my, because I lift them above my head. And so, you know, one of, one of Christian's children comes along wants Daddy to do the same. But all of a sudden, oh, you know, Christian's got a sore arm. Oh, his wrist is sore. My shoulder doesn't work. But before, he was throwing them. It's like all of a sudden, Academy Award. So, you know, I, I had to take one for the team. And even though I've got a bad back, I always end up throwing all my kids and his in the pool. So acting could be a great thing. Pastor Christian may have wanted to do. Growing up, uh, I, I'm only joking by the way, uh, just in case you thought I was serious. Uh, apart from the steroids part, that's definitely true. <laughs> Not really. So, you know, or you might think you, you want to own, own your own home uh, or a certain kind of home. You have a dream of owning a home, or, or maybe you're into athletics and you have a dream of going to the Olympics or representing your country. Um, these are all dreams that start off with thoughts. And uh, what is a dream? A dream is words in picture form because. Until you can, until, you know, you, you, using that example before about owning your own home, before you dream about owning your own home, you have to think about it. You have to think about what kind of home you want and where you want it to be and how many rooms and do you want a pool or, or, or what kind of community you want to live in. So every dream that you have starts off as a thought in your mind, as a seed thought in your mind. So all dreams start off in our thinking and imaginations. You've got to picture what it looks like. You're going to visualize how you want that dream to come to pass. And it all starts in your mind. So the first thing that God, if you're taking notes, the first thing God had to do in this uh, passage of Scripture was that God had to get a hold of Abraham's thinking. Because Abraham's thinking was stuck in his problem about what he didn't have. Oh, I'm childless. Oh, I don't have an heir in my own house. And God had to shift his thinking to a different level by getting him outside and, and getting him to look towards heaven. And so, and I already shared that scripture, so I won't share it again. But he brought him outside and he said, look towards heaven. In other words, he's saying, lift up your eyes off the problem and get your eyes onto the solution. Take your focus on what is and get your focus on what could actually be. Because you don't want to just be continually. Because if you're always looking at the problem, you actually become your problem. And you become known for just that's, that's your issue in your life and that's what you're known for. Oh, there's, there's John. He's, he's got the bad back or he's got the kids are out of control or whatever or so forth. So you want to make sure that you take your eyes off your problem and get your eyes on the solution and get your thinking heaven focused. Um, you know, so, so Abraham in those days, God says, get outside. Why does... God need him to get outside. What is Abraham inside? He's inside a tent, because in those days you live in tent. He's in something that has walls, ceilings, and limitations. And the world will try and put walls, ceilings, and limitations over your world and tell you what you can and can't do and what you are and what you are not able to do books and TV and other different places that are not founded in the Word of God will try and tell you how to live your life and what is possible. But in my Bible, it says that with God, all things are possible. So God had to take Abraham out of his man-made tent with ceilings and walls and limitations and take him outside to look at something that was not man-made, something called the heavens, and look at something that God made because the tent is man-made and now he's inside this limitating world that is man made that has kept them trapped in this way of thinking of being childless to get outside and to see the God factor and look towards heaven because heaven is God made and look to the stars and begin to see what God wanted to do in his life. So, Albert Einstein said this amazing thing. I love it. It's one of my favorite quotes. Imagination is everything. It is the preview of life's coming attractions. In other words, your world outside is just a perfect reflection of what's going on on the inside. And if on the inside you are dreaming and thinking big, you will find that will project into your into your outer world. Because the Bible says, "As a man thinks in his heart, so is he." And I know, I think we've heard that verse so many times, it gets lost on us. But when was the last time we were more deliberate about our thinking? When was the last time we wrote down a list saying, these are the things that I will think about, these are the things that I won't off on the list? Because if this verse, which is true in the Bible, states, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he, then we are basically, what we currently think about daily is what we're going to become. That's a biblical principle. Isn't it a powerful thing? So when you wake up in the morning, what immediately comes into your mind? When you go to bed at night, what's the last thing that's running through your mind? When you're in the car, where does your mind automatically default to? Does it default to all the, all the regrets and the bad decisions you make? Or does it default to the promises of God and the life that God has for you? So um, Isaiah 55 verse 7, I love this passage of Scripture. It says, Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let them return to the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Think of this. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. In other other words, before you go away somewhere, before you go somewhere, you have a thought about going somewhere. So you might say, before you go to the beach, you have a thought about going to the beach. So God is saying in the Word, the way that you change the way the path of your life, the way that you change the direction of your life is to, first of all, change the thinking and the way you think about your life first. If you think about your life, that God has a great plan for you, that he has an incredible destiny, that he has great things in store for you, you will begin to find that you will be more inclined to walk down a path that will lead you towards that promise and that meditation that you are dwelling on, on the inside of your life. And so, you know, Abraham was not doing that. He, his thinking thinking was determining his way. He was thinking childless, so he was living childless. It wasn't until God got him outside, changed his thinking to look at the stars and look at heaven that something changed on the inside of his life. I mean, here's the thing. Before you live depressed, you think depressed. You have to. It's impossible to live depressed without thinking depressed first. Before you live in discouragement, you think discouragement. You meditate on discouragement. Before you live in regret, you think about regret. And I mean, at the end of the day, I don't want to get to the point where, you know, it's like, wow, this is awesome. That means I can think like Porsche. (laughs) And now, in my driveway, Porsche will happen. No, that's not what we're talking about today. That's that's not it at all. At the end of the day, thinking Porsche should hopefully leave lead you to harder work or smarter work that should leave you and good budgeting that could lead you to savings that can lead you to being able to pay for a Porsche that will then sit in your driveway. Does that make sense? Because some people think that's all I need to do. Porsche. Brad Pitt. If you're single girl, it's like Brad Pitt. Well he's married, sorry about that, but you know somebody else, and they and they think like that, and then they think, yeah, just because I've spoken it and I thought it, then it's going to come to pass. That's actually not Bible. That's something called the New Age. Okay, you've got to you've got to put some wheels on your dreams, and that, I'll, I'll share that a little bit later. But I just want to make sure that we're all clear here that you know thinking is just the stuff, freeing your mind is just the beginning. It is just the beginning of getting of what God was doing in Abraham's life and what God wanted to do in our lives. And I love children because children don't know yet what can and can't be done. I mean, I could almost tell my children anything and they would believe me. Like literally, I'll just tell them something they'll be like, you know, Charlie's is starting, my oldest one of five is starting to catch on. You know, I think Liam, where's Liam here? He picked this up somewhere. The, uh, you know, he told her, he, when she asked him, he told her he was five years old. She didn't believe that. They're not going to believe everything, Liam. Five and a half is going to be six this year. So she didn't, she didn't believe that one. But they, they, they almost believe anything that you tell them. It's so great. And it's a great responsibility as parents to make sure you tell them the right things, Right. And so our, our daughter, Charlie, she plays soccer. I'm her coach. Now, I'm not the competitive one in the family. My wife is. No, I'm very competitive. I get nervous before games. This is under six girls soccer, and I'm nervous. I want to win so bad, I can feel it in my bones. Right? And so we go out on the field, and our team's doing pretty well. We've only lost once all year, my daughter's. Uh, One of the youngest in the team. So I've been working hard with extra sessions for her, doing dribbling, shooting, taught her how to shoot left and right foot, uh, dribble in between people and do as much as we can do. She's five years old, right? So anyway, she's been scoring about four or five goals a game. It's going pretty good. And and on the way to soccer, I think either Summer or myself asked her, you know, how many goals are you going to do great today? Yeah. You know, how many goals are you going to get today? And she goes, 17. And I'm sitting there in the car and I'm thinking, the game is 28 minutes long, 17 goals is a lot to get in 28 minutes, your previous best is five, we're in a league where everybody plays, so I, all the girls have to have a game, so you do not not even going to play a full game, at best you'll play 20 minutes, maybe only 14, 17. so in my mind I'm, I'm going through this process and I say, sweetheart, that's awesome, but... Why don't you just focus on getting one and then see how many more you can get after that? Well, anyway, we get to the ground, and lo and behold, teammates haven't showed up. So she's going to play a full game. And lo and behold, by half time, she had 11 goals. 11. And I went and talked to the coach and said, Look, I, I can't take my do- number six off, my daughter, because I don't have any replacements. Well, play her in defense. If that helps, he's like, oh, don't worry. You know, my, my girls have got to learn, you know, if you're losing, you just got to keep trying. And I'm like, okay, no worries. So anyway, she scores a further six goals in the second half to score 17 for the game. I have egg on my face. Because she wasn't thinking about how many minutes she was going to play. She wasn't like me thinking about all the obstacles, all the reasons why it couldn't happen, right? She was just thinking about how it could happen, and she went out there and made it happen and scored exactly 17 goals. I mean, Summer on the sideline was just like her jaw was dropped open with her daughter like going out there and massacring the opposition. It was a bloodbath, people. But here's the thing, and let me tell one more story on this because it sounds awesome, but she definitely has her moments. The following week, she got like 11, but the following week after that, she didn't want to play, right? Boys just go on and get and their girls are like, you know, i got to be careful here, right? All the girls are looking at me going, worst preacher ever. Um, But so up and down. So she doesn't want to play because there's a big girl playing who pushes her and grabs her shirt. She doesn't like that. So off the field she goes, and she just lets the big girl run through and score. So we're losing 5-1, and there is seven minutes left to go in the game. And now I don't want to lose. I'm like, I am crushed at this point. I think the only chance we have... As if Charlie's gets on the field. So I walked over to her, true story, I walked over to her and I picked her up and I, and I hugged her and I said, Sweetie, I love you. And I walked to the middle of the field so no one could hear what I was saying and I looked her in the eye, true story. And I said, Sweetie, I love you, but you signed up for this team and you made a commitment that you were, were going to be there for your teammates. And I expect you to go out there and help out your teammates. And she's like, but daddy, we're losing, and the girl is so big. And I, and I, and true story, this is what I did. And this is me, you've, if, they're laughing because they know how competitive I am. I said, I said, listen, winners, when they fall over, don't go crying off the field, they get up and they do their best. No, true story. Because I don't want to be a quitter in life, and I don't want her to start quitting when she's five, because that means I don't, then she'll quit when she's six or seven or eight or nine. I want to build in her now that it's not okay to quit. You can lose and still be a winner because you gave your best, but it's not okay just to bail out on your mates. We don't do that. We get in there and we do our best. And I said that to her, and I said, winners, don't run off the field crying. Winners, get up, get the ball back, go down the other end and score, and do it as many times as they can. That's what they help their teammates out in seven minutes. I said, when the game's on the line, winners want the ball, they don't cry, they don't complain, they don't moan, they do their best. And I took her to the goal, and I said, I want you to kick this ball into the goal five times. And she kicked the ball into the goal five times, and I said, if you do that, we win the game, 6-5. Can you do that? And she says, yes, Daddy, I can do that. And I said, <laughs> <laughs> true story, true story. And she said, what if we don't win? I said, you will win if you do your best, because winners are those that try their hardest no matter what. Now, all credit to her. She went out on the field, the other team kicked off. She went and zoned in straight on the big girl, took the ball off her feet, the other girl fell off, fell over, dramatic, trying to win a free kick. Charlie's ran down the other end, scored the goal, and suddenly in her eyes, she should see the belief of what Daddy said, because her, her thinking changed. She was thinking I couldn't do it. The girl was too big. She's pushing me over, pulling my shirt. I took her aside and I and I and I straightened out her thinking as a dad. That's what dads do, right? And then got her back out there. We scored four more goals. One six five. Charlie scored five goals in all, and the whole team's like mobbing each other, like we won the grand final of rugby league or AFL or whatever. It was crazy. And we're like run to six girls soccer, um, you know. So it's crazy. So in seven minutes, our team scored five goals because she changed her thinking. And you might think that that's kind of like a bit of a silly illustration, but it's so true in every area of life. It is. If you will shift your thinking, she shifted from I can't to I can. She shifted from I won't to I will. She shifted from oh, I'm just stuck in this rut of losing, the situation is too dire. We're not going to be able to do anything to yes, I can go out and do something and change the situation, and went out and changed the situation. See, Ephesians 3, verse 20 says this. It says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that is on the inside of us. Now, here's the thing: you can you can think without asking, but you can't ask without thinking. Before you ask something of God, you've got to think it. But you can think something of God and not ask it. In other words, if we were to really look at what the scripture is saying, that God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, really above whatever you think, whatever is is situated in your mind. So if God is bigger than we think, we just need to think bigger. And bigger thinking doesn't mean, oh, I want to go from a two-bedroom house to a four-bedroom house. Thinking that 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 might be the end result of thinking bigger, but but bigger thinking is about my situation is here, but with God, all things are possible and I can be here. That a setback can be just a springboard to set me on my journey that God has for me to do great things for him. So we have to understand that thinking big is not about big possessions. It's about living a big life that blesses a lot of people. Because I know I want to live a life that blesses a lot of people. So let me just uh, come in here. James 1 verse eight. The Bible says, "A double-manned mind, a double-minded man, is unstable in all his ways. Let not that man think that he will receive anything from the Lord." I love the Amplified Translation. It says, For being as he is, a man of two minds, hesitating, dubious, irresolute, he is unstable, unreliable, and uncertain about everything he thinks, feels, and decides. I think what happens sometimes is we pray big prayers, but our thinking's not aligned. God can't get involved in that, because the Bible says, how can two walk together unless they are agreed? You can't be thinking, you know, if you're married here, you can't be thinking to yourself, oh, well, you know, I want a great marriage, but, geez, I wish I'd married someone different. You can't. That's double-mindedness. You can't be thinking, oh, Lord, I want to I I be financially free so I can fund missions, programs, and do great things for you, but be spending more than you earn every day. That's double-mindedness. You can't be wanting one thing but then living in a way that is completely in the opposite direction to that. And I, and I preached a message, um, you know, about a month or so ago a little bit about that. And the, the key to this is that direction, not intention, determines your destination. In other words, you can be, intend to be financially free. You can intend to have a great marriage. You can intend to have great kids. But if your path doesn't lead you to that destination, you will end up somewhere else. I intended all my life to be financially free and successful in business and have money in, in the bank account and to, and to be able to be a, a giver in the kingdom of God. Yet, I was $36,000 in debt. You want to know why? It's because the path I took was one of spending more than I earned every day. And over a period of time, what happens is you get in a massive amount of debt. It wasn't until I changed that and thought, you know what, I'm, just, I'm too often on the altar call. I'm like I'm like the altar call king here because I'm always needing a miracle. I had to change my mindset from needing the miracle to being a miracle. You want to see a miracle in your life every day? Be the miracle for someone else and you're going to see a miracle every life in your day. And I had to move from always needing a miracle to being the miracle. I mean, I can't if I'm poor, I can't help the poor because I'm poor. I'm the one who needs help. I am in the help the poor basket. I want to be in the I want to help the poor basket. That means I need a surplus. So within one year, we paid off thirty-six thousand dollars worth of debt and got completely and utterly financially free. And you know, I won't go into the other parts of, of, of parts where we're at, but the, the, the key is is that we live in surplus because we walk down a path of spending less than we earn each day, and that leads us to a destination of surplus. And it's the same in every area of our lives. We want great kids, but if we neglect them, or if we are parenting. Method or or style is abrasive to what we want to achieve. We're going to end up down a different road. We're going to wonder why our kids are not in the house of God or or off the rails or whatever words you use. You're going loco. In America, it'd be going loco, Um, you know, because we're on the border of Mexico, right? So, (laughs) San Diego. And, you know, we don't get the destination that we desire because we simply didn't take the path that we should have taken that leads us to that destination. But before you even go away, you have a thought to go away. Before you even go down a path, you have to align your thinking to be able to go down that path. So if you look at every area in your life and you think, where do I want to be? You have to ask yourself the question, am I going down that path? Is the pathway I'm on leading me to that destination? If it's not, change your thinking and then shift to a different path walk down that path that will lead you to a completely and utterly different destination on that. Amen? Amen. Praise God. Who's having a good time in the house of God this morning? Awesome. (laughs) Praise God. I'm, I'm wrapping this up. So we can actually limit God. Psalm 78, verse 41, says, Yes, again and again they tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. And if you limit someone, you limit or make small what you can do in their life. And, and sometimes that's why we think God is moving bigger in somebody else's life than they are. That's not fair, God. Where's the favor? on my life. And it's not that there's more favor on that person's life because God favors them more. It's just because this person has allowed God to be bigger in their life because they've opened up with bigger thinking. They've changed their thoughts. And that's what repentance is, by the way. The word repentance means a change of thinking. They've changed their thinking. God has become bigger in their world. I mean, there are examples in the Bible where Jesus walked into a place and it says he could do no mighty miracle there because of the unbelief, because they limited him in their thinking. Come on, somebody. There is power on the inside of you. Romans says the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead dwells on the inside of you. That's an incredible thought. This resurrection power is available for you to tap into every area of your life if you will get your mind lined up with what it says in the Word of God. Amen? Amen. Amen. So 2 Corinthians 10 verse 4 and 5 says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. The question is, is our thoughts taking us captive or are we taking our thoughts captive? The question is, you know, with a stronghold, this is what a stronghold is. A stronghold is anything that has a stronghold on your mind. So either the word of God has a stronghold on your mind, either the promises of God have a stronghold on your mind, or regrets, failure, unbelief, sickness, discouragement, depression, have a stronghold over your life. You've got to identify that. And the Bible says we can cast down those thoughts and those strongholds by applying and and making the word of God the number one priority in our lives. Another thing that Abraham did, and I'm definitely coming to a close here with this, but he changed the way he thought, but he also had to, to, to define what he really wanted. The Bible says, "You have not because you ask not." There was an incredible ad. I don't know if anybody saw it. It went viral on YouTube. There's like 65 million views on YouTube about a Canadian airline that at Christmas time. I think Pastor Christian's seen it. At Christmas time, that everybody lined up and um, as they were putting their checking in, Santa came up on the screen and says, "Hey, hey, ho, ho, ho! It's Santa here. What do you want for Christmas?" So, you know, people are like, oh, you know, big screen TV. Some people say, oh, a new iPhone, iPad or whatever. And one person said, oh, socks and underwear, right? So anyway, unbeknown to them, they get on the plane. And while they're on the plane, all the employees of that airline are going out and buying exactly what they asked for. Yeah. Now, me, I would have been like private jet with... <laughs> with P. Diddy and Fly Me to Private Island, with Christian and Melissa there, with a, an arm that can throw. They get off the plane, and all the presents are coming up on the carousel with the names on them. They're expecting their bags to come up. You've got to do it. Just just um, on YouTube, just type in WestJet, and it will come up. Yeah. And what happens is they begin opening it and realize... It's exactly what they've asked for. Now, everybody's excited except the guy who asked for the socks and underwear. Because this regret comes over him when he sees the big screen TV come out for the couple that asked for that right at the end. Because the Bible says you have not because you asked not. God just didn't take Abraham outside and change his thinking. He said... Look at something specific, the stars, number them. Now when Abraham goes outside, he's looking, those are my kids. There's my future kids right there, all of my kids. God wants you to, we need to be specific and intentional about what we should be thinking about. That's why Paul says, Paul writes, finally, brethren, he makes a list of the things that he's going to think about. You know what they are? 4 verse 8, it says, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things, then the peace of God that passes all understanding will surround your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. When was the last time you made a list of the things that you were going to think about and the things that you weren't going to think about? I've made a list. When we were in financial trouble, I made a list of all the self-defeating poverty things. I'm not going to think those thoughts. And then I lined up all the thoughts. And every day when I'd go and work out, I would look at that and say, I'm changing my way of thinking. I'm changing the path that I'm on. I'm changing my destination. I'm changing my life. I want to be the miracle. I'm going to be the miracle. I'm not going to need the miracle. I'm going to be someone who is a miracle for somebody else, for some other family, for some other life, for some church. I'm going to be a life. That displays the miraculous power of God. And just finally, here, the last thing that he did was he got him out. And this is important because vision without action is just daydreaming. He says, Arise and walk out in the land. Like I said before, a lot of us might think that it's just about thinking. It's not. It's also about going and living it out. James 2, verse 17, I'm going to close with this. It says, So also faith if it does not have works, I love the amplified version, it takes a little bit further and it says deeds and actions of obedience to back it up by itself is destitute of power, inoperative or dead. In other words, faith is not faith unless there's some action and some works to back it up. And let me just close on, on this story here and we're done. I promised my children, I don't know what happened with the volume but I'm like suddenly like way up there but I promise my children that we have one story and at least one song every night before we go to bed. That's their expectation because that's the promise that their father has given them. Now, Bella, I can probably get away with if she misses out. She doesn't really remember or remind me. But my oldest daughter, Charlize, you ain't going to get a pass from her on that. So one particular night... She's, you know, Daddy, when i am going to get my song? And I was busy working away because I work a lot of nights and weekends. Busy working away. I said, look, I'm going to be in in five or ten minutes, right? It's really going to be half an hour. We all know that. So half an hour later, I come in and she's fallen asleep. So I'm like, oh, okay. And I sang a quick song over her and I prayed for her and I went to bed. But in the midnight hour, after the midnight hour, at 2 a.m. or 3 a.m. in the morning, she marches in to our room, and says, Daddy, I want my song. I said, sweetie, I, I sang over you, but you were asleep. Daddy, I want my song. Dad, you promised me the song. And I'm like, sweetheart, I'm like, I'm tired, and I'll give you a song tomorrow. I'll give you two songs tomorrow night. She was not going to be moved. She was going to occupy our room until... She occupied the promise of her father. So I got up weary and tired, went into a room, gave her a song, and went back to bed. And God spoke to me, and she says, If only my children would do that with my promises. Because here's the thing you have a promise of the Father, you have a dream from the Father. You need to fix yourself to the promises of God until they fix themselves to you. You need to attach yourself to the promises of God until they attach themselves to you. Just like the determination in my daughter that she was going to fix herself to that promise until that promise came into her life. She was not going to leave. She was like the widow who goes to the judge. I I, I I just saw it in my mind, the picture. She's just going to stay here until she gets her promise because daddy promised. And how good is daddy's word? And she knew that her daddy's word is good. So she was going to stay there until she got what she promised. And you know something? God's word is good in your life. God's word is good in your life. I don't care how young, how old you are, how many dreams haven't come to pass, how many bad decisions you've made, how many good decisions you've made, no matter where you are right now, that promise that God gave you is just as powerful today as the day that God gave it to you. Just like Caleb, who 40 years later says, God gave me a promise give me my mountain. And at 80 years old, he was not going to be denied and he was going to go out there and give the mountain. Here's the deal. At the end of the day, we can think great things and still some bad things happen to us. And no matter how positive we are, people can do the wrong thing by us. And I'm not really talking to that this morning because I think, you know, there are just some things that we don't have control. I don't want to pretend that hey, you know, just in our minds, we can just figure things out if we apply it to God's word, no. But you know what? How we respond. We choose how we respond to those things. We can choose how we respond to those setbacks. We can choose how we respond to those dreams that haven't come to pass. We can choose to fix ourselves to the promise of God until they fix us themselves to us, amen. Close your eyes this morning. We're gonna finish up. We're right on 11.30. I wanna get you out of here. Father, in the name of Jesus, Thank you, Lord. I pray for every person in this place this morning. The hand of God would be upon them. Thanks for listening to the C3 Church Noosa podcast. Visit us online at c3noosa.org.